to be honest with you, um, I had a message this morning out of Isaiah that the Lord, I, I believe the Lord was putting on my heart to preach this Christmas morning, but God suddenly changed that really today. And, um, and so I'm just going to share what I believe the Holy Spirit is putting up on my heart to share with you. I pray that this would be a great blessing to you as a Christian. I pray that if you're not a Christian and you don't really have a relationship with God, I pray that this would be a message that would provoke you to faith in a God that is very, very gracious, in a God that is very, very good, and he seeks the best for your life, certainly not the worst, but the best. He wants to save us from so many things that God will have to deal with. Before I get into this message, I just wanted to read a few things to you that one of these things I saw today, C.S. Lewis is absolutely brilliant, and, um, and his work is just profound. I mean, you know, you, 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 when you read a, something of C.S. Lewis, you just got to really take a, a few years to get through it. His thoughts are just beyond so many people's thoughts. But, it, but I read this today, and I thought it was so beautiful. It says, once in our world, a stable had something in it that was bigger than our world. Isn't that amazing? God really came. God really came. He really did. And we are all such recipients of the grace of God. This was something the Lord had put in my heart. The loving kindness of God is not measured by the suffering of your life or the lack of suffering in your life. But the loving kindness of God is measured by the suffering of his life not yours. He came to us. He died for us. The evidence of God's love for us is not in the way that we suffer, but in the way that he suffered. And he suffered to deliver us from our pains. He entered into our suffering to give us a future without it. Amen. He promised us an eternity with him in heaven where there would be no more pain. No more tears, no more suffering, no more agony. I believe that because Jesus didn't lie to me about the world here. And Jesus didn't lie to me about what it would mean to be a follower of his. Because he said, if you follow me in this life, you will have persecution and you will have suffering. He didn't lie to me about that. He didn't pretend that if I would give my heart to Jesus Christ, then I would never have suffering or agony or questions in my life ever again. He never promised me that. He told me there would be difficult days. He told me there would be challenges to my faith. He told me there would be days of suffering. But he also told me about a future with him in heaven where I would never suffer again. There would be no more tears. There'd be no more pain, no more death, no more devils, no more sin, no more temptation. I can't even hardly imagine what a world like that is going to be, but I'm so grateful I can step into it. And live there forever. It's actually entered into us already. The anticipation and the hope of this world. He entered into our suffering and became a part of it so we could live in a world that has no sorrow, no pain, no death, no tears. He entered into our hell so we could enter into his heaven. He faced our enemy so we can face his father. He bore our sorrows so we can bear his joy. He was wounded so we could be healed. He carried our sins so that we could carry his glory. 
He died, so we never will. How incomparably beautiful is Jesus. He is the lover of my soul and the one in whom my soul truly delights. I have no one else but him, and he is certainly more than enough for me. I would give a thousand worlds to behold Jesus, and I long for the day that I get to see the one that I love so much. The baby born in a manger gives me that hope and gives me that assurance. The resurrection of that baby is an anchor and a foundation upon which my faith stands. Because it's certainly more than a baby that died or was born, but it was a baby that died and rose again from the dead. This coming of God to the earth through Jesus Christ has delivered me from the common fears of man. I don't know if you pay attention to the things that man is afraid of. I don't know if you're aware of the things that science is trying to warn us about, possible impending uh, catastrophic damages that could happen to humanity. But because God came, he has demonstrated to me his unfailing love and his everlasting mercy. I don't have to fear the things that the world fears. I don't have to fear the things that men without God fear. I don't have to worry about tomorrow because my beloved one lives and he lives for me and he is my high priest. I'm not left a chance. I live and this God orchestrates my steps. I am not left to the chance of an asteroid wiping out mankind on the planet. Men and science and NASA is very worried about this. I'm not left to the chance of a pandemic. And hoping that science can rally around to give me assurance or give me safety or to give me hope. Whether I live or die, I am the Lord's. And to die is gain. For to be absent from the body is to be present with Jesus. You can't scare me with death. Hallelujah. I'm not left to the chance of madmen, mad rulers tyrants, and a world gone nuts. Because the governments of this world belong to this Jesus who came. As I've said so often on Wednesday nights, Jesus came far more than just to provide a way for you to go to heaven when you die and not go to hell. Jesus came to take over. And beloved, I want you to understand that all of the events that are happening in the earth today, all of the movement of nations and leaders are simply the pieces on a chessboard that God is orchestrating to bring into this world the glory and the kingdom of Jesus Christ forever and ever. Because the Bible says the government shall be upon his shoulders, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. This baby, when he came, he came quietly. But when he comes back, it will be very loud. And all of the world will behold him. And all of the nations and the kings and the great men of the earth will bow before him. And this devil that has tormented men for 6,000 years will be silenced and exposed fully and completely when Jesus returns. I don't have to sit in darkness. I don't have to live in fear. I don't have to be overwhelmed with depression. My God loves me and he has come to me. And this is the wonder This is the real question, not how can you have a relationship with God. That's really not the question. But how can God have a relationship with you? That's the question. 
How can a God who is holy have a relationship with people that are unholy? How can a God who is righteous have a relationship with people who are unrighteous? And the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And there is an unrighteous, no, not one. And so the real question is that, this God who loves man, this God who made man in his image, how can he have a relationship with them? How can this be possible and God be just? And a lot of times we think, well, if God's God, why doesn't he just do it in the best and the easiest way that he possibly can? If God creates the rules, then why doesn't he just make the rules that are accommodating to him and accommodating to man? Why does there have to be suffering? Why does there have to be death? Why did Jesus have to die on a cross? And I want you to understand that when we talk about God and law and righteousness, It's not something that God read in a book, that this is justice, and this is righteousness, and this this is what legal is, and this is what illegal is. And it's not something that God read in a book, that if a man sins, then this is the way a man can be restored. It's the very nature of God that determines what is right and what is wrong. It is not God reading a set of codes or a set of laws. But it is God in his being and in his essence that knows what's right and he knows what's wrong. And God said, the soul that sins, it shall die. And he said that the remission of sin is is only going to happen by the shedding of blood. And we might say, why did God make that rule? Why did he establish that law? Why couldn't God just say that sins could be remitted without the shedding of blood and without pain and without disaster? Why couldn't he say that? Because in the essence of his being, this is what justice demanded. And if God were to deny that, he would be denying his essence. He would be denying what is fundamentally in himself righteous and true And so God did not want us to die. So he chose to die for us and in our place and in our stead. And then he lays and extends to us the opportunity. You can receive the pardon or you can choose the wrath. Because the justice of God must be satisfied. And so, beloved, I want you to understand something, that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who was offered by God for the sins of the world. For whosoever will can come. You can come just as you are. You can come in absolute shame. You can come covered in sin and sin infecting you to the depths of your being. You can sit there this morning and think you are the person that everybody hates. You're the person that never fits in. But I want you to know that God came to you. God loves you. And this God was determined to make a way for you to get to him. And you can receive that pardon. But if you don't, you will have to receive the wrath Because the justice, the nature of God demands it. But it's not what he wants for you. But if you don't receive the pardon, it is the only thing left for you. So 2,000 years ago, God offered his son, Jesus Christ, on a Roman cross. This baby that was born in a manger was born of a virgin. And he was born sinless. 
His father was not Joseph. His father was not human. His father was God. But Jesus is fully human, born of a woman. But the seed of sin and the seed of the nature of rebellion from Adam didn't pass on into Jesus. He was the one and only, begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And he lived in this life for 33 years, being tested by the devil, even being tempted by the devil in every possible way. Jesus was tried and he sinned not. He defeated the devil at every turn. Whenever the devil would throw questions at him through the lawyers and the scribes and the Pharisees, Jesus would have an answer for them. He never did anything that the Father was not doing. He never said anything that the Father was not saying. He lived a perfect and sinful life. And 2,000 years on a Roman cross, his life was offered for the sins of mankind. The innocent one was judged for us. And God desired to impute all of our sins in the person of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus hung there on the cross, the Bible says in Isaiah that it was the Father who bruised him. It was the Father who made his soul an offering for sin. Why? Because the Father loves you. The Father wants you home. So the Father bruised him. And the Father poured all of his wrath on Jesus as he was bearing our sins. All of our wrath, all of his wrath was poured on Jesus. And now whoever believes in Jesus, whoever is born again, whoever has come into the Son and the Son has come into them, will never, ever face the wrath of God Because it was all meted on Jesus 2,000 years ago. But if you reject that invitation, then God will have to judge you in your sin. And it will be eternal. It will be an eternal separation from God and from His glory. It will be an eternal separation in pain and heartache and darkness and death and fire and brimstone. A place called hell that nobody likes to talk about, but we certainly have to. Because there is no good news if we don't face the reality of the bad news. And the bad news is is that God will judge us as sinners if we don't receive his pardon and life through Jesus Christ. And so God says to man, why will you die? I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but God desires that the wicked are transformed, and it is God who does the transforming. And that's what Jesus came into the world to bring. In John chapter 1, it says that Moses gave the law, but grace and truth have come by Jesus. And I want to talk about that for a moment, grace and truth. And we're about to come to this passage in John 3 about truth, but I want you to know that the grace of God is the enablement of the Lord. The grace of God is the power and the activity of the Holy Spirit. Listen to me for just a moment. As we come to the end of the year, maybe you look at your life and you begin to oversee your life and think, there's a lot of failures in my life. There are a lot of things that are undone. When I look back over my life, I look at the way I treated people and I didn't always do it so well. There are many failures in my life. I tended to be closer to God and I was not. I intended to have a real prayer life, but I didn't. And I know because New Year's is coming and we like to make our resolutions. 
But resolutions are just resolutions. But it is only the grace of God that gives us the power to really fulfill the desires of God in our life. It is God himself working in us so that we can, by faith, work that out. And so I want you to understand that at this place in your life, Jesus brought grace. He brought the power of the Holy Spirit to work in your life to give you the ability. Because maybe you look at Christians and you think, well, they're so good and I could just never be that good. I really love my sin. I've really enjoyed things in my sin. And I don't know that I'm ready to give those things up yet. I I don't think I can be good. I don't think I can be a Christian. Do you know that there is no human that has ever lived that can be a Christian? Apart from Jesus Christ, nobody can do this. And apart from Jesus Christ, everybody that is now a Christian that maybe you're looking at and thinking, they're so good, I could just never be that kind of a good person. They were not always that good person that you perceived them to be. They would probably say, I was the worst. I was wretched. I was full of shame. But Jesus got a hold of my life and came into my life. Jesus cleaned me up. Jesus made me new. Jesus gave me new desires. Jesus did this to me. And he will do that to you. If you will let him, he will do that to you. This is what he wants to do. What better gift could you give Jesus right now than your life and your shame and your sin? That's what he wants. Don't go clean yourself up, get rid of your sin, get rid of your shame, and now feel like you're worthy to come to God because you can't. You come to God as you are. And when you come to God as you are, God cleans you up and God changes you. And God takes your heart of stone away and puts a heart of flesh in that. And God gives you a new spirit and a new life and a new hope and everything that he could possibly give to you through Jesus Christ. So we come to John 3. And I've been moved by God to say these things to you today. And in John chapter 3, just... Beautiful passages of scripture that I know that we're so familiar with. I would like to begin in verse 15. And it says that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So I just want you to think of this. It's about believing. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son... That whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Isn't that wonderful? God wants you to have everlasting life. And God made the conditions of everlasting life to be on the condition of faith, not performance. That ought to make you happy. And this is what is so beautiful as we celebrate the birth of Jesus today. The coming of God. Isn't it wonderful to know that God did not come into the world to condemn us? And it says here in verse 17, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. It is not God's heart to condemn you. And to condemn you means to pass the final sentence upon your life and to judge you. And that's not God's desire. God did not send his son Jesus into the world to pass the sentence on your life and judge you. It's not what he came for. He actually came to save you. And the Bible says, he that believes on him is not condemned. 
But he that believes not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. For everyone that does evil hates the light, neither comes to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that does truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. I wanted to read verses 18 and 19, or verses 18, 19, and 20 from the Amplified Bible. Just listen to this. He who believes in him, who clings to him, who trusts in him, who relies in him, is not judged. He who trusts in Jesus never comes up for judgment. For him, there is no rejection, no condemnation. He incurs no damnation if you believe in Jesus. But he who does not believe, he who does not cleave to Jesus and rely on Jesus and trust in Jesus, he is judged already. He has already been convicted and has already received his sentence. Because he has not believed in and trusted in the name of the only begotten Son of God. He is condemned for refusing to let his trust rest on Jesus Christ. The basis of the judgment, the indictment, the test by which men are judged, the ground for the sentence lies in this. This is the basis upon which men are going to be judged. Light has come into the world And people have loved the darkness rather and more than the light. For their works and their deeds were evil. For every wrongdoer hates, loathes, and detests the light. And will not come out into the light, but shrinks from it. Lest his deeds, his activities, and his conduct is exposed and reproved. And I wanted to talk about that. And if I can, I'll just give you this for a moment. What is doing evil? And what is doing truth? Because in that you will find if you are a believer in Jesus. And I don't want this to be confusing. I want it to be very, very simple. I just want to take the words of Jesus. And I want you to understand what is doing evil and what is doing truth. So God sent his son Jesus into the world not to judge us and condemn us. Not to pass the sentence against our life that we are worthy of receiving. But instead, God sent his son Jesus into the world to save us. And he tells us this in verse 19. This is the condemnation. That light is coming to the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Now here it is, verse 20. This is is, uh, very, very important. Doing evil. For everyone that does evil hates the light, neither comes to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. So what is doing evil? Doing evil is this. It's detesting the light and refusing to come to the light because you know you're bad. And so you keep your distance from the light. Because you're afraid that if you approach this light, you're going to be exposed for what you really are. 
Because it doesn't take much to convince anybody that there are things in your life that you've done wrong. And so doing evil is just simply the fact of staying away from God. You can go to church and stay away from God. There are many places that we like to hide from God. Religion is one of the greatest. We try to hide behind the the cloak of religion or the cloak of works. So we can stay in the shadows and maybe stay in the darkness. Lest we get too close to God and we're really seen for what we are. A lot of people do that. A lot of people compare themselves with other people. That's also the darkness. I like to compare myself with you. I like to think I'm a little bit better than you. Or I like to think that if you're a really great person, a really great moral person, I like to think that I'm on the same kind of plane with you. That maybe we're just almost a little bit alike, but I'm not, I'm not at the bottom and maybe I'm not at the top, but I'm just okay. And there's darkness in that. Because we're really not being exposed to the light of God. We're just allowing ourselves to judge ourselves with everything that's around us and everyone that's around us. And we try to live up to the standard that everybody's expecting. And that can be darkness. So doing evil is just simply not coming to the light. It's not coming to the light because my deeds will be exposed. And doing truth is very similar. Because, you know, we might think doing evil is this, doing evil is gambling, doing evil is stealing, doing evil is watching porn, doing evil is fornicating, doing evil is cheating, doing evil is all of these things. And that's who does evil, and that's who deserves hell. But that's not what Jesus says. He doesn't mention any of those things. None of them are mentioned by Jesus when he's talking to Nicodemus. He just says this, that people will not come to the light because they are evil. And they know they'll be exposed. And that is the unbelief. It is the unbelief. It it is the inability to believe that God really will save me. That God will really be kind to me if I come to him. That Jesus Christ will really deliver me from my sins. Because I really think if I get really close to God, God's going to just really let me have it. But doing truth is different. Listen to doing truth. In verse 21, he that does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. And so this is doing truth. Doing evil is not coming to the light, and doing truth is coming to the light. Because your deeds are evil. I want you to think of it this way. Almost everybody... At some point in their life, if not at many times in their life, have lived behind masks. Husbands and wives can even live behind masks. Children can live behind masks. We can live behind masks with our friends and with our acquaintances. We live behind masks. We, we, we project this image, but we know in ourselves that's not what we are. There are things that have gone on in your life that if anybody ever found out about it, you would be horrified horrified and so we live behind the mask i've experienced this in my life on both ends i've experienced it and sometimes when i as a pastor have been able to see behind the mask and i see what a person is really up to and i see what a person really is they will hide from me because they know i see They will just hide from me. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to counsel with you. 
I don't really want to be around you because I know that you see what's going on in my life and you're scared of me or whatever pastor or whatever person that might be in your life. You become scared of them because you're exposed now and they know it. So you begin to hide from them. Maybe you go to another church or maybe you just keep your distance and you don't want to get too close or whatever. You just begin to isolate yourself like that. And we begin to hide ourselves because we know that there's something in me that's fundamentally evil and you see it and you know it and I'm exposed to you. People do that with God. When you begin to realize that God sees behind your masks and God sees you for what you really are, the tendency of men is to hide from God and not come to the light. But those that believe, when they understand that God sees them, and they have been exposed before God for everything that they are, they do not run to the darkness and hide, but they walk up and they approach God, and they basically declare to God, I know that you see me, and I believe that you will help me. I know that you see me for what I am. I know that you see the full extent of my sin. And I do not believe that you're against me. I believe that you really do want to save me. And I'm approaching this light because I'm admitting I cannot save myself. And I believe you, Jesus, to save me. I believe you to deliver me from my sins so that from now on my life will not be defined by what I have done with it, but my life will be defined by what you've done with my life, that my life is wrought in God. And I have no hope but you, and I'm tired of hiding and I'm tired of running. And that's why the baby came. To be the light of the world. To let you know that God sees you. To let you know that he knows what's going on. To let you know that the mask that you hide behind and the things that you're so very horrified to know. If anybody found out, God already knows. He knew it before you were ever born. And it has not affected his love for you. And it has not changed his demeanor. He has come to save you. He has come to extend himself to you through the person of his son, Jesus Christ, so that he can save you from your sins. And this is the way we as Christians live. We do truth. We do truth. This is the way we live. We're saved by doing the truth and we continue to walk with God by doing the truth. We continue to walk with God by walking in the light and exposing ourselves to God. And every time we begin to deal with things in our life, we cry out to our Savior, help me, help me. Help me to walk with you. Help me to be everything that you want me to be. I can't come up on New Year's and make all of these New Year resolutions that I never fulfill anyway. Oh, Jesus, you help me. You make me. Let my life be wrought in God. And God begins to do the work in your life. But religion is like, okay, God gave me a new beginning, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to walk this out. And you know you won't. You know you won't. But it's when you come to the light, and that's the way we do as Christians. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
If we confess our sins, that's coming to the light. It's agreeing with God. It's not coming to the light and saying, oh, but it was their fault. And it was their, No, we're just coming to the light and we're agreeing with God that, Lord, there's sin in me. And what does God do? He is faithful and he is just. God can legally put your sins away. And he has put them away through his son, Jesus Christ. He has made you a saint. He has already, according to Romans 8, he has already glorified you. He has already sanctified you. He's already justified you. It is done, beloved, in Jesus Christ. Jesus has made unto us wisdom and power and glory by God. All of that to us. And and that's only the difference between people who do evil and people who do truth. So don't look around and see good people and bad people. It's people who are doing evil and people who are doing truth. And people who are doing truth are not the people who have just pulled themselves up by their bootstraps. And now they're church members and they're tithers. And they do all this work for the church. And they do all this work for God. And they do so good. That's not it. I'm coming to the light to be exposed by God. I'm not hiding anymore. And I'm not making excuses anymore. And because that baby came for the first time in the history of mankind. We have a light to go to. And it's not the law. Which would kill you on the spot. But it's grace. And truth. Which will undertake for you your debt. And pay it in full. And give you an everlasting habitation with the Father. In his eternal home and kingdom. Praise God. So why do we get excited about Jesus coming? Because he's everything. He's everything. And when you come to the light, the darkness, Satan and his kingdom and his power has no power over you. You are free. You are free. I'm free from the performance. I can take the mask off. I don't have to pretend. Because you know what? There's only one man that ever lived among us that was different. And that's Jesus. And the rest of us were all the same. All the same. He was the only one different. I want you to stand with me. I want us to pray. I want to give you an opportunity to come to the light. The opportunity to come to the light. That's all you have to do. And only by faith can you do that. Coming to the light. If you're lost this morning, the light has come to you. The light did not remain in heaven, but it came to earth through Jesus Christ. And God says to you this morning, you don't have to hide anymore. If you come, I will not condemn you. I will save you. I will give you everlasting life if you come. But if you do evil, and that means you just won't come to the light. God is not asking us to come to religion. He's asking us to come to his son, Jesus. Just as we are with shame, with sin, with guilt, failure, bondages, addictions of the worst kind. 
and believe, Jesus can save me. He is the sinner's Savior. And the worse the sinner, the more excited Jesus is. Because he hadn't met one that he can't save. And he never will. But you come to the light. It's time to stop doing evil. Which is avoiding Jesus, avoiding God. Playing a game. This is the gift you can give Jesus today on his birthday. Do truth. Come. And if you're a Christian this morning, you're a believer. This is what we keep doing. We keep coming to the light. We agree with God about what he says about us. There's something in your heart that's not right. There's a bitterness in your heart. There's an unforgiveness in your heart. There's a wound in your heart that you're not over. Just come to the light. Just agree with God. He's not telling you to cure it. He's telling you to come to him. And he will be faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you. Don't you want to be? Don't you want to experience that power of God in your life? To let people go? To turn from things in your life that are not helping your walk with God? You can't give it up. You might say, well, I'm going to fast social media for a month. Social media is still in your heart. So it'll be there the next month. That's not the answer. The answer is coming to the light, letting God do a work in me. Don't you want to be like Jesus? Don't you believe Jesus can do it? Let's let him do it. Let's rejoice in God. You know, the angel said, joy to the world. The Lord has come. Peace on earth. Goodwill towards men. Why? Because God didn't send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save it. And that is certainly joy and celebration and gladness. There's a place for you before Jesus. There's a place for you. If you're not born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. I don't care how good you've been. You cannot enter the kingdom of God. Jesus said a man must be born again and that's believing on him, trusting in him, relying on him. If you're here this morning and you don't have a right relationship with God, I just want you to pray with me. Father, I turn to you this morning in the simplicity of your word. For we've studied John 3 today and doing evil is not coming to the light that I might be saved and freed because I know there's bad things in me and I don't want to live like this anymore I'm tired I'm worn out and I believe that you can save me and I believe That as I come to you today, you will not condemn me. I believe that you love me. I believe that you gave your son Jesus so that I could have everlasting life. So I'm here 
I'm here with you. In every way that I know to come, I'm coming. And I'm not hiding and I'm not pointing my finger at other people for the way that I am. This is just the way that I am. And this is what I do. And this is what I love. And I know it offends you. But if anybody can help me, you can help me. And if anybody can save me, you can save me. And no one else can. So Jesus, I trust you. I desire to follow you. To walk in this light and not go back to darkness. And I thank you for receiving me. Give me the grace of your Holy Spirit. The new life. The new heart. A new spirit. I receive that from you. From your kindness and your mercy to me. And I thank you for loving me. And I thank you for your mercy toward me.